What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 9 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Ben Anderson, and this conversation is powerful. It's funny, as I read my notes, I have implemented several things from our conversation already. I'll share those at the end of the podcast. But hear Ben's incredible intentionality as a father. He started out fearful and afraid that he wouldn't be a good dad or a good husband due to having an absent father as a kid. But enjoy meeting my friend Ben and hearing how he overcame those fears. All right, here we are. Another great conversation about fatherhood. Super stoked to have Ben Anderson on the show. Ben, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. I've been looking forward to this conversation, looking forward to learning about you and your big family. Uh, we're going to have some fun. So as we get started here, I'm just going to ask you some some kind of quick off-the-cuff questions that I ask every guest, and that is, how old do you find yourself today? How old do I find myself today? Yeah. How old are you? Yeah. So uh, biologically, I'm 51. Just had a birthday. My age, I'd probably say I'm in like 20s or 30s because I'm relatively immature and I <laughs> I just don't want to be old. So I'm not going to be old. So in what <laughs> ways, what ways are you immature and in what ways are you mature? Hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. I've never thought of that. Um, I guess in the immature, I just want to have fun. Like, I want to take the things that need to be taken seriously, seriously, right? We've got to pay our bills. We've got to put food on the table. We've got to plan for college. We've got to do these things. So in those areas, I want to have that wisdom and looking ahead. So I would call that kind of the, the wiser, older age. But I also, I don't want to lose touch with the things that, that really matter. Hmm. Um, I guess to go to a story, we, we, have, a, we have an adoptive family. We're a transracial family. And so with that, you're always going to have some trauma and some stuff. And there was one night that we had just a really heavy night as a family. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're getting the kids down and you could just feel it like the day. And I went into my room and I had volunteered at a, um, an ARC thrift store, which is a, a thrift store that raises money for a nonprofit for people with disabilities. And I had got a Batman suit. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? And I went in, I put this Batman suit and I started running through the house. And of course, my wife's like, oh my gosh, you just got all the kids worked up. It's bedtime. Now they're never going to go to sleep, but they were laughing. Yeah. And, you know, so in that sense, like, I don't want to use that youthful, call it immaturity or youthfulness where I can get down on the ground and play with the kids or I can do those yeah. things. So that's where I kind of say, like, I always want to be young and immature. Love that. Love that. I love those fun moments. And that's really, those are the beautiful moments of being a dad. Right. Like really stepping into your role of connecting with your childlike side and connecting with your kids and being silly and having fun. Uh, good stuff. How many years have you been married? It'll be 17 in February. 17 years. Oh, so good. And how many kiddos do you guys have? And what are the what's the age spread? Uh, we have six kids, uh, nine, 12, 14, 15, 17 and 22. Wow. Wow. The spread. Yeah. <laughs> Quite Keeps the spread. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then what do you do for a living to provide for the family? Uh, so two things. I would say I, I have a traditional W-2 corporate job where um, I work with an insurance consulting firm that helps companies with their employee benefits, the attraction and retention of employees, you know, strategy around their financial costs and those those types of things. Uh, that's why I do day to day and lead a sales team in an office there. Love the team, love the company. It's great. Um, outside of that, my wife and I, we do some real estate um, as well. We love short term rentals. My wife loves to decorate and loves hospitality. I kind of like process and the hunt of finding opportunities. So mm -hmm. it works well together. We love it. Um, 
back and forth. And then we've got some other real estate investments. But part of that, I guess the thought is you can only save so much. So if we're going to be in that abundance and put all these kids through school and whatnot, like we need to find some more stuff. And I want them to learn and see us work because they learn from watching us work. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's the, that's where we spend our time. And then my wife's a speaker and author and a coach. And what is her focus? Uh, she's a Bible study speaker and author. So she travels around the country uh, speaking with women's groups and writes Bible studies that are more geared towards women. Love it. Ah, so good. Ben, as you think about your journey as a father for the last 22 years, what have you learned about yourself in mm. that role as a dad? Um, <laughs> the hard one is I'm never as good as I think I am. Mm. Like that's a hard one. And it, not as a negative thing. Like I, I actually relish in that is the recognition that, man, I can always be better. Um, I was with a group of guys this morning and they, a couple of things I heard is like, ah, I messed that up. You know, there's a couple of times where recently one of the kids in their game, you know, we talked about the things they did great in the game. And I, you know, to me, it was a mistake. Uh, I pointed out a couple areas that could have been better. So I, I stole a little bit of joy. And in my heart, I was like, I want to tell them this because I, I want them to be better and I can help them. And mm -hmm. I saw something they could use. But the reality is I, I shouldn't have done it. It was a mistake. Um, mm. So that, that reality of I'm not as good as I think. Like, I can think I'm crushing it as a dad. But, man, there's six of them. There's always someone going through something. And, and I'm going to yeah. miss things. And my tone of voice is going to be off or this. So it's not meant to be that I'm not good and that I'm not aware, but that I have to always be recognizing that I have to work on it. I have to fight for it. I have to fight to be better. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll fall off a little bit. Yeah, I like the the tone of your voice because it's kind of like a hard thing to explain. The idea that I want to be better, just for the lack of a different word, but it doesn't mean that I'm not good today, right? Mm -hmm. And I think dads can walk around with guilt or shame, and so then they don't take any action because they feel like a failure. But failure is great. Like it's great. I mean, obviously, in, unless you're like hurting your kids, right? You don't want to hurt your kids, but failure is your opportunity to learn and grow. And that's what life is about. Otherwise, we're just stagnant. So I like your tone because it's hard to express, but through your tone, I can sense what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. When did you begin to believe or embrace that fatherhood was an adventure? So you think back to, Okay, I, I want to be a dad. Now, was your first child adopted? No, we had two biological children and then started adopting. Okay. <clears throat> so so there's – because there's a different anticipation, I would assume, if it's like you had been trying to have a kid and couldn't, so then you adopted. So you had two biological children. At what point did you go fatherhood really matters? And then even maybe with that same question is obviously you realized there was a need, so then you decided to adopt children as well. Yeah, the, the fatherhood one, I would say it was a long time ago, <clears throat> early on. And some of it was the product of you can often learn from someone who's really good at something, and then you can learn from people that don't do things as well. So the what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my parents divorced early. My mom's second husband uh, was abusive to us as children and family. Um, my, my dad was gone. He was in the military, traveled around the country. Like, I would pursue him around the world. I remember as a little kid spending hours trying to find him in, like, an officer's club in Panama or someplace in the world. Uh, my poor mom had to deal with those phone bills because back then it wasn't as easy. The world wasn't as close. But so I think I came into fatherhood with a fear <clears throat> of, mm. will I be good? Like, can I do better than my dad did? Can, can I take care of these children and provide for them? Not just financially, but like emotionally and, and do that. Cause that was always my goal is this legacy of, you know, how do you define success? I define success as how my children's relationships are with their children. So that down the road, a few generations. Um, so I think early on, I recognized the magnitude of it, both at the same time in conjunction with marriage, because I saw a lot of these broken marriages. I saw a lot of divorce and abuse in my family. Um, I was really scared about the idea of getting married and would I be any good at this? <clears throat> like, could I be a husband? Cause I gotta be a husband first before I can be 
have a father, not completely. There's single dads out there. There's people never married. They do great. So that's not nothing against that. Um, but that was how I thought. And so I was really concerned coming into marriage and fatherhood um, if I could be. So the magnitude of it was never lost on me. The ability to to recognize that I could learn and fail at the same time and grow in it, that took me some time to get to. Um, cause I, I wanted it to be a certain way. Cause I want the idea of not having control of it. That was really hard for me, um, as I grew, but it got better. And I mean, I love it. It's the greatest thing ever. Okay. So when you got, when you got married, you, you come into fatherhood and marriage, those things kind of happen at the same, that at a similar time. Sounds like. Yep. And so then at what point, you know, through that fear of, okay, I have this fear. Well, now we've had a kid and now we're going to adopt. How did, how did this shift or transition happen for you to go, wow, I'm not afraid anymore. Or is it just that you saw a bigger need and you still had the fear, you know, where did that transition come in to start adopting? Yeah. The adoption question was a very early on question. Actually, before we got married, <clears throat> I would say we kind of, we kind of knew that we would be adopting. Um, we just didn't know when, and we kind of went on and it was there and it was a conversation. And at a certain point we felt now we're ready. It's time. Um, it happened to be after we had two biological children. Um, but it was a pretty natural progression for us because we had talked about it early. There was some domestic adoption in my wife's family. There was mm, got you. Uh, not international, but domestic. And then on my side, I had kind of always had a feeling of adoption, like that I wanted to adopt. I didn't know why, per se. Wow. I didn't know where yeah. it came from, but something was there. Um, and then, you know, my wife is funny because she always said she never wanted to have kids. Um, I joke. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, she couldn't resist having kids with me, uh, but that's not true. She just, you know, God changed her heart, and she realized that she wanted a, diff a different life. But it was it was always part of the conversation. So then you have two kids and then you go to adopt and you had had to met, you know, your wife had experience with the domestic, but you both chose international. And then you also chose to, to adopt kids that were older than your kids. Was that part of the plan or was that just how it happened to work out? Yeah. You know, that the whole concept of ready, fire, aim, there was maybe a little yeah. of that. Um, that was kind of how we did things. And there's actually an interesting story in the adoption of how we actually slowed one down. And then the situation came back and said, yeah, you're not slowing this down. <clears throat> it's going to happen. But it was, it was one of those things where it just kind of felt right. The international made sense. We looked at the different countries. Um, we were looking for certain qualities and things that we wanted and, and that seemed to fit right. So it was weird how it all fell together. We also worked with some smaller agencies where we had more latitude to be involved in the process. Um, even to the point of at one point, my wife was asleep next to me and we knew we were getting our appointment that day. We thought if we could get our response back in time and I'm up in the middle of the night, refreshing the browser over and over and over and over. The email uh -huh. comes in, emailed it right back to the embassy, got an appointment um, because they were going into the wet season in Ethiopia. It's, it was crazy. And I woke up and I bought a ticket and I woke up my wife and I said, you need to pack You're leaving today. Wow. You go to Ethiopia to pick up a kid. Like that doesn't happen. Like that's just, it's crazy. But it's kind of how we've, we've rolled through things is, you know, everyone will tell you, <clears throat> don't adopt out of your birth order. It's interesting because no one says, what's their birth order? If they're an older child, like where did they come from? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a different dynamic that's not thought of a whole lot. And we started with an infant, you know, and then we met a young boy there <clears throat> and we felt like, man, this, this kid is part of our family. And we went back and we started working on that. And then, you know, so we adopted one younger and then one older than our two biological kids. And then a couple of years later, we adopted another infant and one even older. So we straddled our birth order twice, which everyone wow. says not to do. And I mean, I won't say it's easy because you can't have adoption without trauma, which means there's going to be challenges. But it's going. <laughs> yeah, you're doing it. It's it's working and you're making it work and you're learning. Um, mm -hmm. Man, Rad, when you think about the role of the father, how would you describe the role of the father? Yeah, it's there's so many different facets of it. And that's where it's hard because you got to pay attention to them all. Um, <clears throat> there's the you know, you're, you're a mentor. So you're trying to guide them and impart a level of wisdom. 
to maybe save them some time. You know, there's that saying that, you know, smart people learn from their mistakes and brilliant people learn from other people's mistakes. So let's go be brilliant. And so as, as a dad, like, I want to help them do that. But it's hard because we, we don't want to clear the road for them. We just want to prepare them because it is a bumpy road. Life is a bumpy road and it's going to get harder. You know, we've got social media and we've got the division in politics and we've got all of this going on. And so, so life's never going to be easy. And I don't know that it was meant to be. But as a dad, I want to help them. I want to give them the skill sets so that whatever it is that shows up, they can, they can deal with it with, um, you know, at least knowing someone's there. They don't have to have the confidence that they know how to deal with it, but they need to know, you know what? I, I know someone I can call and I know someone that's going to love me unconditionally when I make the mistake because they will. Um, and when things don't go wrong and I do something dumb or whatever, like I know that someone loves me. I'm loved. I'm known. Um, and that someone has my best interest at heart. So that, that's how I feel my role as a dad. I love it. Okay. So something you said that I really like is you said to not clear the road for them. So talk to me a little bit about that. What's the difference between clearing the road for your kid and preparing your kid for the road? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, an easy one might be knowing that your kid's going to fail at something. Right. I got blocked it. You know, hey, how's your homework coming? How's this coming? Okay. Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay. I'm looking at your report. I'm looking at what you got. You don't got it. <laughs> I, I can yeah. jump in and say, hey, you don't have this. <clears throat> You're not prepared. You're not ready. Let's do this. And, you know, there's times where that where the, the implications of failing are too big to let go. But in most cases, especially early on, let it go and let them fail. And don't say, I told you so, but sit there and say, when they come back and say, oh my gosh, I got an F or this didn't work. It's okay. Well, what happened? This, this, this. So now, you know, I didn't jump in. I didn't clear it for them. I didn't do it for them. I didn't go talk to the teacher. I let them figure out because they're going to learn from it. And it's going to be so much stronger because they went through that and they learned more about themselves. Uh, I think, I think that's probably a good example. Um, yeah. Yeah. So hard to do as a parent. So another thing, and it's, it's kind of in line, but I'm going to ask it anyways, is you said you wanted to give your kids a skill set. So when you think about your kids leaving the house, so 18, 19, 20, 22, whenever it is that they are, they're heading out on their own. What's one skill that you go, this is really important to me. And I, it's hard because there's so many things that we're told are important. And even like I think of myself, there's so many things I want my kids to know. But if you were to say this one skill I want them to know, what would that skill be? Okay. I will caveat it by saying that I might answer it differently for different kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not all the same. But if I had to pick one generally and didn't delineate a different child, I would say I want them to have the skill of giving and receiving love. Giving and receiving love. I think we can learn a lot of things, but that ability to have a relationship and to be vulnerable in a relationship can take people a lifetime to figure out. But I, I think there's a skill to it and an understanding and a, a being in a position of vulnerability. And I think it's, it's critical as you go through life uh, in work, in relationships, in, in every facet. So if there was a skill, that's what I would say. Yes, so good. And I don't want to say it's I don't want to say it's easier to learn in a big family, but we were having this we have five kids and we we're having this conversation with our kids the other night. You know, this is the place where you are going to learn how to communicate. This is the place you're gonna learn how, you know, we read First Corinthians, you know, like love is patient, love is kind. It sounds so great to say, so great to hear at a wedding, but the reality is is you Learn patience by putting yourself in situation after situation after situation after situation where you have to figure it out. And so, and we look at families, uh, at least culturally, are not entering into that space of struggle, right? Mm-hmm. We, 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 we don't want to feel discomfort, unfortunately. And the discomfort is where the growth comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and family, families where that's learned, uh, Something you said, a way you answered it is, is I asked you what the role of the father is. And one of the things you said is that you want your kids to know that they are loved and that they are known. I think this is huge fathers to know your children, because then you answered the skill set question with, well, I might answer that skill 
differently based on each kid, which means that you as a father take the time to know each of your kids. Mm-hmm. So how, how maybe practically are you intentional about knowing each of your children when you've got, you know, I got real estate going, I got my business going, I got six people asking me stuff. I got my marriage that I'm working on. How are you intentional to go? I'm know each of my children. I don't just say it to sound like a great dad. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it, it's a weird thing, but it, almost in a sense, looking at the family as a business and it sounds cold, but if, if you follow me, it kind of, I think it comes together. If we have problems in, at work, we analyze the problem, we come up with a solution, we, we, we stop it from happening again. But so often in families, when we have problems, we let them happen over and over and over. Mm. And so do we yeah. have those meetings? Like I have, um, I have a meeting every Wednesday morning from 8.30 to 9 a.m. And it's a meeting with myself, and it's, it's titled Rad Dad Meeting. Yeah, and all it is so is – it's the, and the title's there for a reason is my goal is how do I be an amazing dad? How do I be a rad dad? So I have to think about it. Like you can't, you can't be unintentional about it. So thinking about, okay, what, what am I doing this week in that? And then my wife and I, we sit down – Every week, and it may be on a walk. It may be early in the morning. It may be before. It's not as structured, other than it happens. Yeah. And we go through what does this kid need this week. And so, you know, what's their struggle? What's going great? What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be planning? How do we want to interact with them um, in certain ways? Because yep. some of them might be going through a challenge. Uh, you know, for an example, our 12-year-old daughter is a performer, and what I mean by that is. She works really hard and she wants to be validated for the work that she's doing, but she also can't fail. So the idea of failing to her is traumatic. Mm -hmm. She can't finish her math homework and those things. So we have to be really, really intentional that we don't reward her the wrong way because we don't want to reinforce that habit of, I have to work harder than everyone else. I have to succeed to be okay. Yeah. It's, you know, there's even times where you say, hey, it's okay. Don't, you don't have to do your homework. You're fine. You know, or like, you know, we're going to skip school today. I can't skip school. It's a powder day. Let's go ski. Let's go do that. It's going to be okay. And so, you know, teaching her that there's more to this, but without the intentionality about it, because there's other kids in the family, I would never do that because that would reinforce some of their negative uh, behaviors. And it wouldn't build them the way they need to be. And so, you know, encourage you know, understanding that's the known is what what kind of personality do they have? We are a little unique in that the four adopted children are not biologically related. So they are very different personalities. Uh, and the two biological will have some combination of our personalities in a lot of ways. So there's a little more there, maybe differentiation. Dude, rad dad meeting. So good. <laughs> So good. Now, I think if you're a dad listening to this and you are just like, oh my gosh, I love the idea, but I don't know how to start, or you feel like you haven't been showing up, I would recommend like just have this meeting with yourself for like a month. Set it on the calendar, non-negotiable, once a week. And then once you've shown yourself, you've committed, you've done it, I mean, sign a contract with yourself, then do then step into the one with your wife and then step into one with your kid. Um, I, I, I love that. We, we, um, just started doing a daily huddle with our kids. So every morning at 7 a.m., because I have a daily huddle with my team. So my team, we all meet at seven or we meet at 6 a.m. for seven minutes. Sometimes it goes a little over. And so we started this now that school started with our kids and we do a 10 minute daily huddle. And my parents are actually staying here this week with us. And my dad came in after he's like, Hey, it's, it's, I thought it'd be way more chaotic in here. I thought the morning of all the kids getting ready for school, this, that, and the other would be crazy. He's like, it seems like you guys are doing all right, which, you know, 10 minutes later, my daughter and I are kind of getting into it because she doesn't want to take her nose piercing out for her school. So she puts a Band-Aid on it every day. So there's a little reality check there, but yeah. that's also just part of it. But anyways, back to the daily huddle, the meetings, um, making those non-negotiable for us is really critical. And I think that at the end of our life, we'd say family's the most important, but sometimes on the day to day, we don't take the um, intentional action to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. 
All right. As you think about being a father, what has been the best resource to you? You know, I, I learned a lot from my growing up of what not to do. But the to do, you know, most of it has been, you know, there's the biblical references. You know, you can learn a lot biblically. But I think, you know, day to day, um, you know, boots on the ground. If you're not interacting with other men, I think that's the hard one because we can get so caught up in things. Um, and your wife, you know, wives are amazing. And, you know, they, they, they always joke there's this thing about that they have their own user manual. You just have to open it up and ask, like, how am I doing? And they'll tell you. Um, same thing with the kids, you know, how am I doing as a dad? You know, do you feel, you know, do you feel connected? Do you feel loved? Do you feel supported? Like, often they'll tell you, or you can pick it up in that conversation. But biggest resource, yeah, I would say talking to other men. You know, I read a lot of books, too. Um, I'm, I, lo I love the books because I'm up really early in the morning. Um, a lot of time alone, but, yeah, I, I like asking other men what they're doing. There's so many wise men out there. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're, you know, there's so many, so much smarter than I am. So, you know, asking a couple of questions and then being quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we live in such a cool time. One is if you ask another man, hey, uh, I'd love to meet or talk or mentor or whatever, most dudes are going to say yes. And then the other thing is, is if there's a dude that seems unreachable because of podcasts, you could pretty much have the best mentors in the world by just listening in um, mm -hmm. and, and hearing conversation. So when you think about being a reader, what is the one book or two other than the Bible that has transformed you the most? That would be the one you'd give away, the one that you think about, the one that you feel like this shaped my life. Yeah, I mean, um, without a doubt, the gap in the game. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and there's a lot of good books, but I, I, the reason I picked that one is it is it, one, it is not spiritual, it's not religious. I can give it to anybody yep. because it's a mindset book, and getting to the, that understanding of appreciating what you have, that contentment, you can still move forward and want more while being content at that time, versus always finding the shortcomings. So I, I think that's the one of the reasons I love that book is, and I, I'm going through with my team at work and I, I recommend it to everybody is if you can change the mindset, man, that's what an easy way to get into that position of abundance. When you mm -hmm. recognize the accomplishments and the opportunities and the availability. But if you spend all your time looking, I've never met a person that was thoroughly happy that spent all their time thinking about how they're not good enough. <laughs> it doesn't work. So I, I think that would be my book, The Gap in the Game by Dan Hardy, Ed Sullivan. Love it. Oh, so good. All right. This podcast is called Fatherhood Field Notes, and we're doing it now. You're opening up your your life's field notes, sharing marriage, family, adoption, all the stuff. The mantra behind it is rebel and create. And the idea is what's something that you're rebelling against as a man, as a warrior? You're rebelling against something, but not just for the sake of being destructive, what do you hope to create out of the space created from your rebellion? What comes to mind when I bring that up to you? Uh, the presence. I see just so many dads that when when life's not exactly what they want to, you know, they, they go to work and they work a lot or they're off with their friends or they're hunting, and they're, which are all fine if done for the right reason and the, the right amount of time. But that willingness to step into the gap in the hard conversations and of recognizing the shortcomings and the, the areas to grow, like our own baggage is with us. You know, mm -hmm. we, we don't get to go through life all of a sudden saying, you know what, now I'm a dad. Nothing that happened to me before matters. I'll just be a dad. Um, we have our own security, insecurities, our own shortcomings, all of these. So that, that being present um, and willing to be vulnerable, I think, is where I, I want to do things differently because I want to make other people better. Like that's my goal in life, you know, at work and all those things. So I don't, I don't want to just be there when it's convenient. I, I want to be there sacrificially and when it's hard. And I, I want to make that difference. So I, I would go to presence. So rebelling against that idea of, of distracting yourself with even good intentions or, or, with things that you said, it's, it's, um, like going hunting or going to work aren't bad things, but questioning, why am I here right now? Is this where I'm getting all my intent? identity? Yeah, what's the intent? What's the intent? 
So talk to me about identity then from that, from that place. Um, we say that men struggle with that. We may even struggle with that. I struggle with that at times. Do you think it comes down to an identity issue or a discontent in life? Um, uh, fear of, uh, being intentional. What do you think the, the, the core reason is? I think it would be different for each, each man based on their history and their life. You know, if they, you know, I grew up without a dad around and then the, the second dad was abusive. Um, you know, my grandpa, I remember when I went to college for the first time and I came and my, my grandpa gave me a nice check for Christmas. It was pretty cool. And then, um, my grades came out. I don't know if he ever spoke to me again. Your grandfather? Yeah. On my, on my dad's side. Like, I don't know if he, I, I'm trying to think if he ever actually spoke to me again before he passed because I hadn't performed at the level he wanted. So, I mean, I carried some insecurities around some of wow. it. Um, and so like, as a dad, it's going to depend. You know, I, I was terrified of the idea of marriage not working. And so that, that was part of my identity and yeah. you know, what I would need from a woman and was it the right thing to need? And as a dad for my kids, you know, and so coming to terms with, I have to be okay with me and my identity and my relationship so that I'm not needing inappropriate things in different areas of my life um, was a huge freeing things because those weren't judgment on me, but recognizing I carried those wounds uh, from childhood. So I, I think that's why the important the, in the identity, you have to know your wounds and are you willing to address the wounds? Because if not, you're probably going to wound your child the same way you were wounded. Like those will probably transfer. And I didn't want to do that. That was a, that was a thing for me is, I am going to change the generational like legacy of our family. Like early on, that was a commitment of mine. So let me ask you this. Is that a Ned? It was a Tuesday and I, you know, I'm a new husband, a new dad. And there was this moment and boom, or is it Ned for the last 17 years, I've woke up and some days I, I get it. And other days I don't. And I'm constantly reminding myself, you're not your wounds. You're not this. Like, Talk to me about that gap in the difference between a moment and then a lifetime of, of fighting. Mm, good. That's good. Um, maybe the analogy I would use is, uh, you know, for when you get on a roller coaster, <clears throat> usually the first thing you do on a roller coaster, you start to go up and you mm -hmm. hear that. <laughs> and in a sense, like it moves up and falls back on the thing and it falls back on the thing. And then you kind of move up. But same kind of thing. So I, I think in some ways, like I recognize it was there and I make a little progress and then I fall back and I make a little progress. But each one of those moving forwards is higher than the others. So, you know, today's success, today's failures were yesterday's successes. Mm -hmm. You know, the things I thought were going to be amazing. Now I'd be like, oh, my, that would be a disaster if that was the case, because my level is higher. Like I've leveled up over this time, but I didn't level up in a straight line. I didn't level up in that you know, beautiful hockey stick curve. Yeah, it was it was go up a little bit, fall back, go up a little bit, fall back, go up, maybe fall back a lot, maybe raise up a lot. Like it was it was all over the place. And each time I learned more about me and I learned more about what I needed to do and who I could be and gain that confidence to be a little bit more vulnerable, open, maybe to not care about certain situations and to be like, why am I even involving myself in the situations? Let go. You know, that's a good deal. You know, letting things go, too, became, was hard early on. What does that self-talk look like? And maybe it's, I'm sure, not maybe, I'm sure it's Im not improved, but changed is when you fail to not go, God dang it, you are your dad or you are, you know, the guy with the grades that no one would approve. Like, you know, what's that conversation in your head look like to go, wait a second. No, that's lie. That's, that's not who I am. Those are things that right. happen, but not who I'm choosing to be. Cause one is, you know, so, so what does that self-talk look like? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm thinking through that. You know, for me, as a, a faith-based person, you know, I have an ideal with Jesus, and I can do that. But, but if I remove that for just for people that that's not a priority or want to apply it across the board, it's the right that we come into the recognition that man, it's okay to fail. It's mm -hmm. okay. Like, no one in the world has ever not failed. Like, right. We all fail, and we all fail massively. And we all fail all the time, and it probably wouldn't be that hard for every person to say, "What did I fail at today?" 
and find something. It's there. So, you know, moving from that, that gap in the game would be a good example of I failed. I didn't feel like I performed at the level I wanted to or I did some. But what's there? What did I learn from that? How I changed from that? So if you can take that and you can move forward in a different way, that's where you grow. So the recognition, the biggest one of the self-talk is it's okay. Hmm. I'm not terrible because I did a terrible, I made a terrible mistake or I raised my voice when I shouldn't have. I'm not terrible because I made a mistake. I'm going to go say I'm sorry. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to try not to do it again. So being okay with it. That's yes. the self-talk for me at least because I'm not bad because I made a mistake. I just made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. A couple of thoughts. So, so, so good. So I just finished reading this book by Anthony DeMello called awareness. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really cool on audible because he reads it. He's a, he's a, a Jesuit priest and, uh, he, he passed away in 1987, which I was like, I didn't, I didn't know anything about him, but I listened to this. But so what you're saying, I'm okay. I think I can really grab on to like, if you gave me like, Ned, I read your book and it was awesome. Or Ned, I listened to a podcast the other day. And it was great. Or like, I could really feel good about myself based on that. And if, if you said something critical, I really, it would like drop my energy significantly. But in the book, he was saying to not lean on either of those. Don't get all psyched on somebody saying something good and don't get bent out of shape when something, somebody says something negative. And when you said the self-talk of, Hey, I'm okay. Either one, if it's positive or negative, to live in a space where it's like, I'm okay, I know who I am, and I know just kind of like you said, for me, knowing I'm a child of God is like kind of like the foundational piece for how I exist. You know, I almost, I wouldn't even know how to exist if that piece was taken away from me. So I understand that self-talk to carve it out, it's still, you know, I, I still am here. It's on me to kind of figure out. But um, I really like that. And then the other thing, I love this question. What did I fail at today? So maybe three, four nights a week. Um, as a family, I'll have my kids journal. What's what's your intention for tomorrow? What are you grateful for? Um, and then what I've been asking them is, who did you serve today? Because it really makes them stop and go, oh, crap. Uh, you know, and <laughs> I don't know. I don't didn't serve anybody. Um, and the idea with that is that sub consciously i'll start to serve and be aware of it right not just think of myself yeah, that's so good though that's a great, that's such a great question and so, regularly, i want to add once a month like you're doing it regularly like that's where it's it's becoming a core competency a, a core foundational part of how they think yeah and i think that adding this where did i fail today would be a great one too because i think of my 13 year old daughter who i'm trying to find ways to help her fail because she just just devastated. I think you said your 12 year olds like that. And, and so helping them understand failure is not bad. Failure is good. If I learn from it. Um, so love that question a lot before I move on to another question, any last thoughts on that before I kind of bring us to a close here pretty soon? I don't think so. Yeah. I okay. probably end up on some crazy tangent anyway. So <laughs> Something you said in the intake form that I just thought was really um, just beautiful for us dads to know, and I thought you'd talk about it. It had to do with the drop of water. So maybe you can explain, explain the that. ripple, the ripple. Yeah. It's, um, you know, with, with our kids with trauma, my wife and I, Teresa is her name. Uh, we had a lot of those hard things where we felt like we didn't make a difference. And so we talked a lot about, you know, how do we prepare these children? And, you know, oftentimes with social media and all these competing forces and TV and the, just the world out there is fighting with us. Everything the world is offering, it feels like, doesn't want us to be good dads. They don't want us to have, you know, that, that lasting, deep generational relationship. Yeah. So as we kind of talked through that, some of it was, how do we know we're making a difference? And... This came up early on, especially when we adopted our oldest, who was 13, almost 14 when he came to us. We had a conversation of, you know, T, are you, are you ready that this could be almost like, um, you know, having a student from another country live because we may not be able to bond at the deepest level. And how are we going to handle that? So what do we, what do we want to focus on? How do we give this child love and let them know how deeply they are loved and know them? 
and know that the impact may not be made for a decade or more. Yeah. And that, you know, as that person is dealing with some of the trauma and the challenges, will they be able to be loved and give love inside that trauma? We may not see it. Like it might be when they're in their 20s or 30s and man, hopefully we're still totally involved because, you know, some of the stuff with trauma is it can be difficult. Um, that we had to know that in the future that we were making a difference because um, it kind of gave us that hope and we had to have hope. Um, and so one of the analogies we had is, you know, putting a drop in a bathtub. And then by the time they leave at 18, the bathtub's full of drops. We filled it. And now they can go on with their life. Um, that had to be compressed because some of the, the children were adopted earlier. But as we do things, those drops, if you drop, if you drop a rock or a drop in a lake and you see the ripples, those ripples can affect so far out mm-hmm. that you don't know. Um, you know, I heard someone speaking the other day about a coach and that coach never knew the difference that they made in that child's life. But that child looking back, you know, later in life was like the person that impacted me the most was this coach. Coach didn't know that. They just had to trust and believe that I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to serve these children. I'm going to love these children. And that that drop creates a ripple that will affect them down the road. And I, I think in life, I see that too. Like, the team I have at work, same thing. Like, I don't know if some of the stuff I'm going to do is make a difference. Some of it I can see if they sell something. Yeah. Um, but I, I want them to, I want them to affect their life way more than that, right? As they're, you know, moving in and they're getting married and they're having kids and growing their family or their kids are moving out of the house and they become empty nesters. Like, is there things that I can do at work that will affect that ripple for them? And with our family, same thing is the day to day, the little teeny things have big ripples down the road. Just like if we let someone get out of alignment early on, it's a tiny degree out of alignment, but man, way down the road, they're hugely out of alignment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those little things, little things early on make big things later on. Mm. So good. It's just that consistency. And it's really encouraging to go, Hey dad, just be consistent day after day, after day, after day, and don't do it. Kind of going back to the, did your kids say thanks or did your wife say, oh, you're awesome. You just keep doing it over and over and over, not because of what someone's going to give you, but because it's who you are. It's who you are in that family. It's your role. Oh, Ben, so good. Before I ask my last question, any fatherhood things that come to mind, any stories, anything we didn't touch on? Uh, I'd hate to miss something. Uh, any, any last thoughts before I ask my final question? I think the one, there was a, a something someone said to me decades ago. And I remember when they first said it, I was like, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it took me a decade. So hopefully you probably have a lot smarter people in the audience. They'll figure it out right away. But um, this person said, your pace protects your passion. And I thought that was ridiculous. But as I realized now as a dad, man, everything, like if my passion is my family, and my kids and my wife and these I have to control my pace because my job will take everything from me. You know, even even church. We, you know, I love church. I love the, but you could be at church every night and you can church yourself out of any free time if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. So the intent around there, but that whole pace protects your passion has been a core thing for me that I cling to is that I have to be very careful about guarding my time and my pace so that I have I have enough to give to the people. That matter, my passion. That would probably be something that has really, really helped me. Dude, amazing. Amazing. Your pace protects your passion. How do you, how do you stay mindful about that? I know you said you get up early, you spend a lot of time by yourself. How are you being intentional about making that a reality in your life? Mm-hmm. Uh, the goals. I set. So I set my goals. I set my, my kind of mission or you call them priorities, however you want to word them, that uh, that I use those as, to test against. So if someone is saying, hey, um, you know, I'm in an industry where people invite you, you know, let's go on a fishing trip. Let's go on this. Like, well, quick, hold on. If I go on that fishing trip, which is really cool. Like, I really want to go on that fishing trip. Yeah. But, you know, I'm leaving my wife at home with all the kids and I won't be there with them. So is that accomplishing my goal 
of loving my children, my family, taking care of my team at work, like my friends, like the things that are important to me. And if it is, I'm going to say yes. If it's not, I'm going to say no. So I, I've got something to test it against. So if you, if you haven't defined the boundary, boundary moves. Because, man, it's the easiest person to win a negotiation with is yourself. Like, you'll, you'll win a negotiation all day long with yourself. Like, those times when you want to buy something, you probably shouldn't buy it. You end up buying it sometimes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You negotiate that all day. But I think that's the thing is, is, is have it written down. These are my goals. Where are yours written down? And how, yeah, where are yours written down and how often do you look at them? Uh, mine are in a notebook. I put them on screensavers sometimes. Like, I put them in different places. And I, and I tell them to my wife. And I tell mm-hmm. them to the guys that I like have an accountability group with so that they can do it. And I, I actually practice it at work, too. One of my things I do often at work, especially with the salespeople, is I ask them their why. What is all yeah. this for? Yeah. And then it's really easy to say, well, this activity is not going to get you to here. Is the why different or do we need to change the activity? So the same kind of thing for me, if this is my goal, it, are my activities and my mindset and the things that I'm doing, are they aligned with accomplishing that goal? And if they're out of alignment, it's time to revisit, did the goal change or does the activity need to change? But codifying a boundary makes it so much easier. Mm. I really like the two two words that you used, which I think will be helpful for men, is priorities, for you to list your priorities. And there are times when I list my priorities, and when I do, I go, oh, crap, these can't actually all be priorities. There's just not enough time. So then arranging, well, what is the most important? And then creating boundaries around it. Um, so priorities and boundaries, critical. Dudes, go sit by yourself. Write this down. Choose to take action on the things that matter to you most. Ben, that was really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, last question, legacy question. So imagine, I'll do this a little different uh, with you having a big family. Typically, I'll say 30 years from now, imagine looking into the homes of your kids. But you're 51. So let's say 100 years from now. 100 years from now, you are no longer walking on this earth. If you were had the ability to peer into your children's lives, the families that they've created, what would you see being played out in those homes and those families? And you'd have a smile on your face going, ah, oh, this, this is based on the way that I live my life. Yeah, <clears throat> that's so good. That's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I really want to <clears throat> go back to that court. Skill, like I want to see them loving each other. Yeah. I, th- I think the, the world has a gap, a love gap. And, mm-hmm. you know, not to be too wooey and, and all that, because I get it. Uh, but I, that's what I want to see. I want to see those kids well-loved. Um, you hear these stories of these, you know, girls especially. I, I grew up with a single mom that worked three jobs to get us through, so it's kind of a passion of mine. Um, you know, girls that grow up and early on they ask if they're beautiful, and 100% of them say they're beautiful when they're young. And then you go ask a, a bunch of 16-year-old teenage girls if they're beautiful, and very few of them say they're beautiful. Yeah. And that tells um, me, man, are they loved well enough? You know, with my daughters, one of the things we talk about is I will love you so well that someone's going to have to love you well to even be a part of your life. Yep. Like the, yep. he's nice uh, to be yes. not a starting, that's a starting point. It means nothing. Um, like, so that I think about that constantly. Am I loving them well enough that the standard is so high that it has to be an amazing relationship to, for them to want to go forward with that. And that's what I'd want to see in these houses is, you know, are people taking care of each other? Are they loving each other? Are they building each other up? Or do they know each other to their core? Like what's important? Um, the dumb little things like my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter brings me home a gift. She goes to King Supers with her own money and buys me a little gift. And what gets me is one, she thought of me, but she knew exactly what I would want. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the thing that she wants, you know, the candy bar she wants that she gets to keep and eat, but she knows that that's my treat. Um, and that's what I would want to see is that they know each other deeply and they love each other deeply and support each other and that they're, they're bond and that the generationally, the values that are important to me have transferred multi-generationally those same values. They didn't disintegrate because maybe, maybe we were able to be financially successful and that those finances tarnished the values, but that, right. that didn't matter. The core values were so strong that they could go through all the ups and downs 
good or bad. Uh, that's what I would want to see. Ben, beautiful. Um, thank you for the work that you've done on yourself. Thank you for breaking those generational, whatever curses you want to call those things that you could have taken into your life that you fought those and you continue to fight those to have a beautiful marriage to, to have beautiful relationship to invite um, children into your home and love them well. Um, thank you for the man, husband, friend, father, leader that you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring the world around you. And thank you for taking time to share all of that with us today. And I, I look forward to staying connected and uh, I look forward to continuing to learn more about you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. It was fun. Love it. Awesome. Awesome, brother. Until next time. What another amazing conversation. My friends, the fact that we get to gain so much wisdom from men who have gone before us is incredible. I feel so honored and privileged to be able to, to engage in conversations like these. During this conversation, Ben said that his favorite and most impactful book was The Gap and the Gain. Now, I've listened to this since, and I'm about to have my entire team read this book, so I'll be reading it again. This is something that I am now journaling about daily and it's on my war board in the morning, and it pops up on my phone around noon during the day. So the gap in the game, check it out, very, very good. I've also been asking myself where I failed today. This has been beneficial in me looking at my failures each and every day, and how am I learning from those? And now as a family, we, we journal before bed, we don't all do it at the same time, but we do it on Sundays, and then the kids are supposed to Sunday through Thursday night, journal before bed, they have four or five questions, and we added this. One of the questions now is, where did you fail today? And then what did you learn from that? The conversation with Ben, powerful, helpful, engaging, really cool just to look back at the notes and go just a month ago had this conversation and now I've already taken things from Ben and I've applied them to my own life thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast what you do matters don't be like everybody else be yourself that is who your kids spouse and community needs this is your guide Ned Shout together let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood if you haven't already, make sure to check out the children's book that's coming out early 2023, The Adventure of Fatherhood. Many of you helped support this on Kickstarter. Wild. So thankful. Um, if you weren't a part of it, go to adventureoffatherhood.com. Check it out. It's going to be amazing. You can pre-order it. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.